Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. I'm your host, Richard Cooper. This podcast chronicles conversations and interviews with our faculty, students, and guest artists. Today, we have a conversation between Jeff Jarvis, our Director of Jazz Studies, and alumni Will Brom. Jeff Jarvis is a Yamaha-sponsored trumpeter, composer, jazz educator, and music publisher. He's been the music director of the Central New York Jazz Orchestra and is a former vice president of the International Association for Jazz Educators. Jeff has recorded with artists like Lou Rawls and the OJs. He's played with Dizzy Gillespie, Henry Mancini, Doc Severinsen, and many more. Will Brom was born in Portland and moved to Los Angeles in 2007, where he attended the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music. While here, he was awarded the K-Jazz Music Scholarship five times. He graduated in 2012 with a bachelor's degree in jazz guitar performance, and he now tours internationally with the New West Guitar Group and has released two albums with his own trio. Now here's Jeff Jarvis and Will Brom. All right, I'm uh, Jeff Jarvis. I'm Director of Jazz Studies here at Cal State Long Beach at the Bob Cole Conservatory. Presently in my 12th year, having a great time uh, running a program with some terrific students with a lot of talent, great attitudes, and a real sense of mission about their education. I'm Will Brom, an alumni of Cal State Long Beach, graduated in 2012. Going to be giving a concert here soon and just came to talk about uh, my experience as a student here. Yeah, Will started with us when I was in my third year here. I came here in 05, and Will started in 2007. And my memories at the time were just, I was very impressed by the fact that he came in as a freshman and was not only playing at a very, very high level, but sight reading notation at a very high level. And this isn't always the case for uh, guitarists because they don't start their instruments the same way we do. When I started as a trumpet player, as I was learning how to make the sounds, I was also seeing it on staff paper. And many times guitarists will be either self-taught or they will be taught by someone at a music store who may not be a strong reader either. And then when it comes time for them to start playing with school groups, they have some problems keeping up with the other students. And uh, Will was somebody that came to us with great reading skills. What was the name of the honor group that you had played with up in Portland? Community Jazz? Portland Youth Jazz Orchestra? This was like an all-star community group. It was like an after-school or weekend community-run music program. There's a lot of them around the country, but not as many as one would think because it's got to be a labor of love for the director. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, fundraising because you don't want to make it cost a lot for the students. But I think it's because of that experience, you probably had the opportunity or it would put you in a position where you had to read and build those skills. I mean, had you done much reading before you got there? I played in the big band at my high school, but it was not a high-level big band at all. So I did have some experience getting to do that. Fortunately, I started reading freshman year of high school into sophomore year, and I just kept at it. The situation with reading is very important once you get into a program at this level because of the fact that uh, we can assimilate more material when people are able to sight read at a reasonably accurate level rather than taking a long time to learn music by rote. And so that's something that's very important. Having just finished our audition sequence for undergraduates, there was several cases where I had some highly skilled players, not necessarily guitars, I mean, in all instruments, mm -hmm. highly skilled players 
that were at a very low level reading wise and they'd either wind up in a group that was below their playing ability because of the reading or they would slow down a group that was at their playing ability so it is very important in addition to the fact that you know we're always looking at the jazz department being the place where you learn how to improvise at a high level but in the real world unless you're blessed enough to have your own band like you do you don't get as much chance to to solo. I mean, that's that to me is my main calling card is my improvisation. However, on any one big band gig, there's so many people in the band in this town that can play well. I might have one solo a night and, and two one-hour sets. Therefore, my value has to be as a reader, as a section player, playing in tune, showing up on time, you know, things like that. That's something that is, as you know from being in this program, is something that I stress a lot, and it's a cornerstone of what we do here. My, my goal is not to turn out all a bunch of burning jazz musicians that are out of work. I want to turn out musicians that are gainfully employed. And so we try to work that in using jazz as the vehicle. You do that. Long Beach students spread out. It's good. Yeah, we've got a lot of Long Beach students working at Disney. We've got a lot of students that are touring now people that are doing their own group like you're doing and have an active recording career and touring career. I have many moments when I'm going through Facebook or I'm, I'm looking at posters up on our bulletin board of an ex-student that is doing really, really well. And those are very special and gratifying times for me. I had a parent the other day that was talking to me about their son and he called me aside. He didn't want his son to hear this. He said, so what's he gonna do with this jazz degree anyway? And I said, well, more than any other type of music that I know of, you can fuse multiple styles of music into this umbrella that we call jazz so that you become well-versed at playing swing, playing bebop, playing traditional music, playing stride piano. We put a stride piano solo in the middle of a chart of Cherokee that we're doing at our next concert. Um, all different styles of Latin music, you know, salsa, different styles of reggae and ska, it can all be brought into the jazz idiom, whether it's with a combo or with a big band. And therefore, I think a student that graduates with a jazz degree has so many opportunities and at least some experience in a lot of different types of music. Whereas I think a classical musician spends a lot of time practicing their excerpts and getting ready to audition for symphony orchestras. Unless there's someone that wants to get into more pops orchestra kind of thing or pit orchestra, they're probably going to be more limited stylistically than a jazz studies graduate would be. It works out perfectly for us to prepare people for trying to be employed when they get out of here. I feel that a jazz degree really gives you the intuitive edge to be able to adapt and to continue absorbing anything around you. Your ears are better trained, you're more open to like learning new things, whereas like you said, maybe in a classical degree versus a jazz degree, you're really focused on mastering certain pieces. And just the, the concept of jazz, which is so broad now. That's know. a really good way to put it because we have to play not only so many styles of music, but we have to be very malleable. We have to be able to be moldable as far as our, our stylistic preferences and abilities. I had a talk with a, a winemaker up in Paso Robles, and he started talking about how he makes his wines, and he's very proud of it, and it's, you know, it's a creation of his. And I started realizing 
our worlds were so much the same. As a jazz musician, situations change on the fly. He starts talking about making wine, and we didn't have as much rain this year as we did last year, and, and so I had to pick the grapes at this time, I had to prune the vines at this time, I had to let it sit in the barrel for longer or less. I mean, all of these variables that happen, and it made me realize if he has a, a year with too much rain, he still has to make good wine because people expect it of him. And if I go on stage with a bad bass player, I still have to sound good on trumpet. And so we have to make all kinds of adjustments to do that. And I think you hit on something there, and that is the fact you have to be flexible. Especially when you're on the road, as I know you know. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't spend as much time on the road as a lot of my friends because I, I started getting into a lot of uh, studio work. Um, when my buddies were on the road like for 10 or 12 years with different big bands, I was on the road with Gladys Knight and then Van Morrison, and if you add it all together, it came to probably a little over a year. But I started getting into the studio scene when the disco thing was big in Philly because I was in Philadelphia at the time. So I didn't have to, to spend as much time on the road as many people in the career have and that's not to say I don't enjoy it I feel like I missed a lot but if I talk to these guys and they tell me oh man I couldn't wait to get off the road I couldn't wait to get home and to sleep in a real bed instead of a bus seat but you know every time even if we take a short tour with the band here and I get on the bus I enjoy it so much because most of my appearances are I take a plane ride I get off the plane I get into a cab or somebody picks me up I see hotels I see concert halls and I see rehearsal rooms and when you're in a bus you see the country mm-hmm. it's so, good for your music for sure well tell me more about the the concert coming up Omenaje is the name of our band which is Spanish for tribute since we love playing Latin music and paying tribute to cultures of all types uniting So the alumni concert is Tuesday, February 21st at 7.30 p.m. in Daniel Recital Hall. And it's with myself, as well as James Yoshizawa, who's also an alumni. He was here my first year when I got here, yeah. And Christine Guter, the head of vocal jazz studies here, is going to sing some songs with us. The bass player is not an alumni of Long Beach, but he is the main bass player in the band. His name is Amet Turkmenoglu. He's actually from Istanbul. That's so easy for you to say. I say it a lot. I'm I'm used to (laughs) announcing it now. And we'll be playing um, lots of my original material for the upcoming album that I'll be recording at the end of this month. Actually, the next day. And then the following two days, we're recording at Tritone Studios. So, Terrific. It's That's like a nice a, studio. Yeah, right? Say the name of your bass player again. Amet Turkmenoglu. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll refer to him as your bass player. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. Uh, so we'll be performing original instrumental music of mine, as well as some covers that Christine will be singing with us. She'll actually be singing one original of mine, too. You wrote lyrics? I'm trying. Oh, Easing into you. it. Glad to hear. I'm very sensitive about that type of thing. So now tell me how um, how this band came about. What were you thinking at the time when you said, you know, I really want to put something together. Here's what I want to do. Was it because maybe you hooked up with James and you thought the two of you could really pull off the world music, if you'll pardon the expression, because of his, his percussion abilities? Things really manifested on their own organically, which is cool. It just was me becoming more in tune with what I really enjoyed doing. Like the oldest song that we play, I wrote in 2013. And I would start rehearsing with James and various bass players once a week. And I would listen to certain artists and go, wow, I really like the timbre of that. I like the percussion aspect. I like the acoustic vibe of that. And just think, that's nice. It's a nice variation from all the loud electronic things. And 
Not to say we don't get loud and electronic, but it manifested organically. And since it was my project, I could bring in whatever I wanted. And it, there was nothing to worry about. There was no judgment when you're playing with your peers that are just happy to play. You just feel artistically free to do whatever you want. So, Well, I mean, I'm sure they're invested in the music. It's not, Absolutely, not, yeah. You know. I see a similar dynamic happening when, when I talked to Bob Mincer about his experiences with the Yellow Jackets because you're in a group of only four people. All of them are at various levels of, um, I, I don't want to say investment, they're at different stations in the group. Mm-hmm. Like Bob is right up there at the top just because he became that much of a part of the group. However, Russell Ferrante, the keyboard player, is the only original member back when it used to be he and Jimmy Haslip and Ricky Lawson. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't even know if there was a sax player back then. I think there was a guitar player. It might have been Robin Ford or somebody. Mm-hmm. And things just changed and changed. And the group was set up. They had a business manager. And these two guys were had this many shares in the group. I mean, it was really dialed in. And the same thing happens with Tower Power. You know, you've got guys that have been with the band a couple of years, but then the the original guys from the band from back way back in the seventies, I'm sure they're making a little taste more. Sure, and they've got to be emotionally invested. Such a labor of love, like sure. you said. Well, it's a product that they know it's supposed to sound like this. Whereas the Yellow Jackets, I've seen them make a few transformations. You know, they went from kind of a, a fusion band to getting really deeply into what I would call more progressive jazz, mm-hmm. and rather than and, you know, before there was, it was four studio guys that were doing Jeff Lorber type of stuff. Yeah. So it's really along those lines. And I've seen how different people coming into the group brought different things to the group. You said you went through several bass players. Yeah. Did the personality or the makeup or the sound of the group mm-hmm. change as these new people came in? Definitely. I like playing with players that are personable, even off the bandstand. Players that you can have fun with if you're on tour with them or if you're hanging with them after a show, before a show, during rehearsal, because the interpersonal relationship directly affects the music. And when you're playing similar songs, you know, we have like 11 originals that we'll be playing show after show after show. You'll get dialed into the music. There should be more interaction inside of that. And the more comfortable you are with the people you're playing with, the more Mm -hmm. the music will, you know, blossom from that. So... James is not the only percussionist anymore. There's a few others that play percussion or drum kit sometimes, and a couple other bass players. Sometimes we have a flautist, sometimes we have vocals. So things change. If you have a new player who hasn't read the material as much, the best thing you can do when you're running your band is make your band sound good. So if they haven't had a chance to rehearse the really hard song, maybe don't play that one. But different people are going to bring different things to the music. And some, if you're in a situation that's a little bit more cut and dry, like a Tower of Power thing where they have to have that sound. In the case of, I keep going back to the Yellow Jackets only because I followed them for decades now. I remember even when they changed drummers, vastly different thing happened. You had a pocket drummer, and then all of a sudden you had a guy that had even more serious chops, like um, Will Kennedy. And I also heard about a fantastic drummer, um, Peter Erskine. Right after Bob came into the group, Bob Mincer, they were looking for a drummer, and, and he said, let's try having Peter come. And Peter just, he didn't dig it. He didn't really feel like he was going to invest himself in the same way they were. Some amazing stuff. I heard them play at a jazz educator convention. It was really fun, but it was so different from what they were before. And then Will Kennedy came in, and then all of a sudden it had all the musicality of the Erskine sound, 
but with just a little bit more R&B pocket. And now when Jimmy Haslip left the group and they got that Australian bass player that came in, he's got all the chops in the world, but it's just a different sound. And now what happens? How does the sound change of the group, not just in the way they perform, but in the way the guys that are contributing most of the material, which is Bob Mitzer and Russell Ferrante, that you start writing for the people in your group, writing differently. And that's like, it keeps it fresh. Oh, yeah. You have to adapt. You know. That's how it was with Duke Ellington. I mean, he right. didn't write for five trumpets. He wrote for Ray Nance and Cat Anderson, and you know he wrote for the guys that were there. And when you look at some of those old charts from the Basie Band or the Ellington Band, you don't see third trumpet. You see a guy's name in the upper left-hand corner. So I'm sure you write differently as these different people come in and out of the group. Or you'll go into different types of styles on things, you know, depending on who can do what. As a band leader, it keeps it fresh for me. When I played some shows in New York with this music, I used East Coast musicians, Mm -hmm. and I had never played with any of them. They were recommended from friends of mine. You went out alone. Mm -hmm. It was cheaper that way. I can't quite afford to fly my my guys out quite yet, but, but it was really fun. They were cool guys. They were into playing original music. We had two small rehearsals. We had one rehearsal before our first show, and they had already had the music ahead of time, but I just brought my books and we did it, and it was cool, you know? I knew the music very well. I'm able to listen and play and react to what they're doing, and it's very interesting to do that. It's not necessarily the same results as what, you know, I'm used to doing with my guys in LA, but it's cool that way. Must have been a lot of work to find the right people. It was. When they're people you don't know. Right. But it's a very small music community, and people vouch for people. Yeah, even though New York's a big city, you know, when you're talking about the hottest players, all of a sudden it becomes a lot smaller. So, very, very. so you didn't have to do any extreme vetting, huh? Not um, too bad. <laughs> so, Will, what do you feel has worked to your advantage in your professional career that that you can say is a byproduct of your having graduated from our jazz studies program? In my five years at Cal State Long Beach, I was very fortunate to play in the concert jazz orchestra all five years. So I got a lot of experience reading difficult music, working with an ensemble, touring some, both in state and out of state, working with all of my peers, playing lots of recitals and performances, putting on concerts of my own, doing my own recitals. There weren't a lot of guitar players there. So I was fortunate to have a lot of opportunities to do all kinds of music classical music rock jazz funk well you you set the bar high i mean you spoiled me you know (laughs) when it came for audition time i said let me see is he as good as will no the i remember you giving speeches in big band about having a good business mind with the music career as far as being dependable being able to read having things in order so that you're not just like you said a starving artist but you're a a well-oiled machine ready to work True. also I mean think about the guy that makes furniture or something the guy that you see his furniture out there a lot is because of the fact he's decided he's going to market he's going to franchise he's going to advertise he's going to do all kinds of things to get the word out and then there's this other guy that makes furniture that's 10 times better and more solid but he can't mass produce it he doesn't know how important it is to advertise. He's not interested in that. He's interested in getting his sleeves rolled up and getting to work. The problem is a very small circle of people are going to find out about that furniture yeah. guy. And the guy that's making the... the lower it, quality. Yeah, a little, little lower quality or just able to be mass-produced. Somebody like that is going to... that gets the word out there. It's how you sell the product. Absolutely. 
And the hard thing for us to explain to young musicians, because they're thinking about music, 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 but it is a product, and that product has to be marketed, it has to be packaged, it has to be sold. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Long Beach gave me lots of tools as far as training and the classes and jazz arranging and mm. all the other theory classes and such. Definitely good training for developing the analytical side of music and if you develop things in an orderly way you will produce consistent results with your product which is in our case the music making i mean there's so many upsides to the academic environment but i think one of the downsides to it is that there are people that go to school graduate go to another school graduate go to another school graduate then they come teach and they're teaching people about something that they've never actually done. They've read about it, they've studied it, but let's say somebody goes to a place like Chapman or USC and they're paying 60 grand a year for their education. By the time they get out, you could have bought a house. And those people have spent, invested a lot of money and a lot of effort into learning how to do something that they don't know how to sell. And so me coming from the industry and then into education, I realized there's a missing piece of the puzzle here that can happen in a lot of universities and that is teaching people how to make a living music is just our that's our product that's our piece of furniture that we just built we can't spend all of our time on the product and not enough time getting people to find out about how good that product is same with your original music you can be playing the most creative intense original music but if you're an anti-social person who spends all his time in his room i did plenty of that in my early days which Mm -hmm. was helpful then no one knows who you are and no one knows your music so it's a mix well you always have to be a student the one thing i recall about you that has stuck with me is that every time i saw you and wanted to talk to you i had to holler because you always had earbuds in Mm-hmm. Constantly, 24-7, there it is right there, there's your earbuds. <laughs> listening to music every moment and taking it in, not just listening to it, not passively listening to it, but actively listening and learning skills. There are so many people that spend all their time on the instrument, but they never put those earbuds in to find out what everybody else is doing. Let's face it, especially in jazz music, we're in a, in a creative endeavor. A lot of what we do, it's a melting pot of things that we've heard other people do. Absolutely. I like this guy. I like this guy. I like this guy. And then all of a sudden you put those three guys together, as long as you don't just plain copy them or clone them. But when you take those influences, I mean, it just really... That's how you can develop yourself. Oh, and make your own sound. And that's the thing that I noticed from the moment you got here, that you were always listening to music every free moment that you had and probably still are. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, Will, what do you have coming up? Do you have any any tours planned or any concerts in town? Or uh, what's have you got a master plan for how the rest of your year is going to go? Yes. We're going, Omanahe is going to record this album at the end of the month. We'll have a album release April 28th at Fatello's in Studio City. And then I'm putting together a little West Coast California tour for early summer to tour that material. And I'll be in... Oregon with New West Guitar Group, which is another band I play in, in March. And I'll be on and off the road with them about once a month for the rest of the year. And I will be playing plenty of other gigs all over the place. But getting more tours booked after this album with Omanahe is the main goal. And obviously you're doing a lot of writing if the oldest tune that you're playing is from 2013. Yes, lots of writing. Yeah, Feels good. So... Well, that sounds really exciting, and I'm, I'm glad you had time to come back and share these experiences with us. And it's, uh, 
very gratifying to see how well you've done. Always been very proud of you, but even more so now. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks a for lot, having Will. Me. All right. This has been Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening. 